We're talking about Amazing Messy Grace, and today looking at this wonderful passage. It's so easy to become distracted, you know, to take your eyes off the main one and the main point. I had a conversation with a young man this week. I had just met him, and we started talking a little bit about spiritual things. And he told me a little bit of his history. He had a mother who was Catholic, and his father's side was Jehovah's Witness. And he said, uh, I just got confused about it all. Uh, who's right and who's wrong and what's the right church you're supposed to belong to. And he said, uh, you know, if somebody wants to talk to me about God, I'm up for that. I believe in Jesus. He said, but, uh, you know, church, that's a whole other thing. It's interesting, really, that we get sidetracked by the trappings of church life, and we do. We can all look at the church and say, this is wrong with the church, and this is wrong with the church, and what we really ought to be doing at all times is keeping our eyes on Jesus, who founded the church and gave himself for the church, as the scripture says. It's interesting that in this passage, the apostle starts by saying, Jesus came and preached peace to you who were far off and to those who were near. You heard the message from Jesus. That's part of the story of you. The apostle says, Jesus came and preached. He was talking to those in Ephesians and other places in Asia Minor. He himself was the designated spokesman to the Gentiles. His call was to take the gospel to you. The story of you is about the Gentiles who came to know Jesus as Savior. That's why he distinguishes it. In that very first verse, verse 17, he says, He came and preached peace to you who are far away. That's we who are not children of Abraham, who are not citizens of Israel, who are outside the covenant of promise. That's why he switches, and to those who were near. You who are far away and those who are near are Jew and Gentile in verse 17. So the story of you, unless you're a physical child of Abraham, the story of you is that Jesus came and preached to you. And even if you are, he preached to you as well. Those who are far away and those who are near. How did Jesus do that? How did Jesus preach peace to you? Have you heard Jesus' sermon on peace? peace? Has it come through for you? I think every time the Apostle Paul opened his mouth to declare the good news, he had this wonderful sense that God was speaking through him to those folks who needed to hear the good news. And so in this way, it was Jesus himself represented by the Apostle Paul who is delivering the message in Ephesians, uh, in, in Ephesus, in Athens, in Colossae. Paul was the mouthpiece. And Jesus says to the apostles 
in John and in Luke. If anyone affirms you, he affirms me. And if anyone denies you, he denies me. He identifies so thoroughly with these apostles that it is he himself with whom the hearer is dealing. So when the message is delivered, it's actually Jesus preaching peace to us, to us who are far away as well as to us who are near. It's the story of us that Jesus encountered us. And I want you to think about the first time you realized that God himself was speaking to you. Think about it. There was a moment. I had a moment yesterday when I realized God was speaking to me. He was speaking to me about my ingratitude. And I was very aware that I was getting a word from the Lord himself about my attitude. But that's happened many times through these years. But you can think back and remember the time when you thought to yourself, I believe God's speaking to me. I believe God's working on me. Paul says, Jesus came and preached peace to you. I hope you got the sermon. Jesus himself speaks through the ordinances. He delivers his message as we are baptized, as we receive the bread and the cup. He intends for us to hear him in these ordinances and to get the message. Do you get the message? How much I love you. How fully I committed I am to you. And my call on your life to be fully committed to me. Do you get the message of peace that comes from Jesus? The Prince of Peace. A man of peace. The peacemaker. When he was born, the angel said, peace on earth. When you think about Jesus, I would think you see him as a man of peace. And any time he got outside of that loving, healing role that he always had with the, with the poor and the outcast and the injured and the sick, when he attacked the religious leaders, he did so out of this context of love, challenging us to love our neighbor, to love our enemy, to love one another as I have loved you, challenging us to love those who don't love us. And if they didn't watch after and love the man who was full of sores laying at their gate, then the ire of Jesus was stirred up. And he would speak strongly and pointedly to this man who so neglected the poor at his gate. Jesus' harshest words are for those who didn't know about peace, caused conflict instead, who didn't exercise love but who ignored those who needed them. When I think about Jesus, I think about his challenge. Blessed are the peacemakers. Have you heard Jesus preaching his sermon of peace to you? It's interesting, the Apostle Paul introduced this theme of peace in the previous, in the previous paragraph by saying that the peace Jesus accomplished on the cross was between two groups of people. Jesus died to take away the dividing wall between Gentile and Jew and make those two disparate groups, those hostile groups, one in his own body on the tree. That's the first piece the Apostle Paul talks about in that previous paragraph. 
So there's a peace that ought to be upon your life, a peace between you and the folks around you because you've heard Jesus and he's preached peace to you and you've encountered the Prince of Peace. That peace ought to be in your marriage. It ought to be there with your children. It ought to be in your extended family, with your friends, in your workplace, with your boss. There is a peace that Jesus gives us that lays down its life on behalf of the other. And this reconciliation, person to person, is a fundamental part of what he intends to bring in our life. And it will be an illustration, this peace that he gives us of what he intends to do between us and God. For the scripture then says that he brought both groups into the presence of God and reconciled them there through his death upon the cross. So there was a peace that was wrought between Gentile and Jew. These hostilities were set aside and a peace that was made between person and God. Reconciled to God through Jesus Christ. Have you heard Jesus' sermon on peace? Are you enjoying inner peace? Is your heart overwrought? Are you anxious and troubled? Is your state of being that kind of turmoil and storm in the soul? Jesus came to preach peace to you. A peace that settles the heart in the sovereign plan and purpose of God. So that you know he is your Lord and he loves you. That's where you get your sense of direction, your sense of self-worth. Your identity is all wrapped up in him. And there's a peace that comes with that. A peace inside. A peace with my brother and sister. A peace with the God who made me. The story of you is all about how Jesus pursued you to the brink of hell. And loved you back into the safety of his arms. That's part of your story. Jesus didn't quit loving you when he died on the cross and laid down his life for you. Instead, he pursued you and he came to you and he preached peace to you, as the apostle says. You have heard the message of Jesus. The foundation of that message is in the apostles and the prophets Paul says here, and we stand upon their shoulders as we proclaim the good news of the gospel. But there's something else about the story of you here. You have gained citizenship. You gained citizenship in the household of God. Paul talks about that here. Now, you know that goes back to him talking about us being strangers and aliens when we are excluded from citizenship in Israel. We weren't part of Israel. And now Paul comes around to say, but you who are far away, you've been brought near, and you now have this citizenship in the household of God. Do you know how precious that is? You have a citizenship. Maybe you're a citizen of the city of New Orleans or of Jefferson Parish, a citizen of Louisiana and these United States. And these jurisdictions claim you as a citizen. The Apostle Paul knew about citizenship and he treasured it. He had the highest and premier citizenship of the first century. He was a Roman citizen. 
And when he announced that in various places, there was awe. And all of a sudden, behavior would change because a citizen is not treated the same as somebody who is a non-citizen in that first century. Justice is a little bit different. When Paul announced that he was a citizen, the authorities took him into protective custody and would not let the crowd have him. Knowing that he was a citizen, when he was given the death penalty, he was beheaded instead of crucified. Paul treasured his citizenship, and he used it carefully and strategically in his ministry. And you have a very precious citizenship, most of you, in these United States. Somebody told me, being a citizen of this country means you won the lottery. And just think about the benefits of being a citizen of this country. Six years ago, there was a family in a place called Mauritania, Africa, a country that was war-torn in Western Africa, a man and his wife and their son. And they fled Mauritania and went to Senegal. And from Senegal, they came to these shores to the United States. The man himself had never learned to read or write any language He'd never been to school. And the woman had a second grade education. Her name was Saidu, and he was Awa. They came to our church on a Wednesday night and started learning English. Six years ago, and their teacher sitting right over here. Dr. Nix, wave your hand. And uh, she started teaching them English. Her with a second grade education, him with none at all. And five years later, last year, it's Awa, isn't it? Awa gained citizenship here in these United States. She passed the citizenship test and she took the oath of citizenship in a very moving ceremony. And in May, her husband followed her, actually passed the citizenship test after six years of instruction, and was sworn in as a citizen of these United States in May. Their little son becomes a citizen by right of their citizenship. They fled a war-torn country where they're afraid they would be killed. And now they live in a place where there is peace, opportunity, abounding do you know that all over the world there are people, millions of people, who would love to have the opportunity you have? This citizenship is precious. And when you think about it, and you think about your citizenship in these United States, you are having the same kind of emotions that the Apostle Paul had when he said, I am a citizen of Rome. It was a precious citizenship to him. But let me show you what happened, all right? The Romans wanted him to deny his citizenship in the household of God. Jesus died for Paul on the tree. 
He gave his life for that man, and he trusted Jesus as Savior and confessed Jesus as Lord. But in Rome, they wanted everybody to confess only that Caesar was Lord. And Paul believed that his trusting in Jesus as Lord was not illegal, and that his citizenship in Rome should affirm that. And so all the way to Rome, he fought the legal battle and was represented. He would not deny that Jesus was Lord. And he held to the allegiance uh, to the household of faith all the way up till they executed him. You see, your citizenship in the household of God is the supreme allegiance of your life. It transcends Roman citizenship. It transcends city citizenship. It transcends citizenship in any jurisdiction in the world. And you are demonstrating the great freedom that this country gives you as you affirm that you answer to Jesus as Lord and he is your unquestioned sovereign and you have no other. Now, that confession is the Apostle Paul's heart and soul, and it is the confession for which he died. You have a wonderful citizenship in this nation, but the citizenship you have in heaven transcends it in time and in eternity. It's a wonder, this thing that Jesus has done for you, as he has purchased for you this amazing citizenship in the household of God. It is something to treasure and never to compromise. Now, the Apostle Paul makes a turn here that I think is so instructive. He says in verse 22, And in him you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by His Spirit. You gain citizenship. You heard the message from Jesus. And you were joined to God's household. It's an amazing thing God is doing in you. God has joined you to his household. Now, we talk about joining the church, and it's important. Some people talk about joining. Some people don't join, and they attend a long time, but they don't join. But what the Scripture says here is not that these people join the church, but you are joined by the Spirit of God to the household of faith. Once again, you're in the passive, and all through chapter 2, it's just the same. From the time you are saved by grace, Through faith, it's not you who does the saving, but God who does the saving. The second chapter starts with, with, you were dead in transgressions and sins, and then, but God, but God does something. And then it follows up with, you were far, far away, but now you have been brought near. You see, that's in the passive. You've been brought near. You've been saved by grace. You've been joined to the household of God. And it's all passive on your part and active on God's part. Salvation is all of God and not of you. 
And when you are saved, you are baptized by the Spirit into the body of Christ. Everybody understands that the Holy Spirit dwells within the individual. Your body, the apostle taught us in 1 Corinthians 6, is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives within you. And you are not your own. We understand that. That the Holy Spirit lives in the individual believer. But here, the metaphor has changed. And the Apostle Paul begins to talk about how God is building a temple in which he will dwell. And this temple is all the believers joined together. It sounds like the Apostle Peter in chapter 2 of his first letter where he talks about you as living stones are being made into a house of worship. Yes, the Holy Spirit dwells in you as an individual believer, but don't you lose the truth that the Holy Spirit lives within the body as well. And God is at work and peculiarly present in the body of believers. Because some people just jettison the church. They decide they're Jesus people, but they're not church people. There's a fallacy to that. Maybe they do have a kind of church somewhere. For any gathering of believers, you know, if you gather together... There Jesus is in the midst of them, he says. Maybe their hostility is toward the institutional church. The institutional church has lots of baggage, I know. And lots of flaws. And lots of scars. This young man I had a conversation with, he told me, I just don't know, it just confuses me, all these different things you hear. And which one is right? I tell you which one is right. Jesus Christ is right. And when you come here, you don't have to wear any label, but you are a Jesus person, okay? That's all. We are the fellowship of Jesus. We are the family of the committed, okay? That's who we are. We're committed to Jesus as Savior and Lord. And that's who we are, and it's who we want to be. And Everything else else is secondary to that. Now, the Holy Spirit lives in you. That's kind of amazing, isn't it? Have you ever thought, I'm not worthy of the Holy Spirit living within me? The Apostle Paul thought that of himself. He said, we hold this treasure in earthen vessels. We know we're just dirt. We're earthen But we hold this treasure in earthen vessels. Why? So the glory may be to God and not to us. If God is able to use David Crosby for his glory, that's an amazing thing. And people will give God glory and say, wow, you used him? That's amazing. We had a young man who came back from St. Louis, and he was amazed by the way God used him. You ever been in that moment when you realize, hey, God is working through me? Have you ever experienced that? Well, you realize God is at work through me. God's doing something through me and in me. This young man experienced that. And it's changing his life. But all of us are just earthen vessels, and we all ask the question, God, why? Why would you let me serve you? Why would you let me be your mouthpiece? Why would you use me? Why would you do that? Because I'm so imperfect, and I'm aware of all my flaws. Just as you have flaws, 
and you're not perfect. The church of Jesus Christ has flaws, and it's not perfect either. The Holy Spirit dwells in you individually, though, even with all your imperfection, because you're a child of God. And without the Spirit, you're not His. So the Holy Spirit is at work in you. Your body's a temple of the Holy Spirit, even though you're imperfect. And even though the church is imperfect, it is still that building Paul describes right here. This building that is being indwelled by the Spirit of God in this unusual way. Not individually, but collectively. There's an expression of the indwelling Spirit in the body of believers. So everybody needs to be part of a body of believers. And when that happens, God joins you to that body. You don't join. It's not you so much as it's God joining you to the body. I remember when this switched in my mind. I was looking at 1 Corinthians where it says God adds sovereignly to the body as he sees fit. If you look at your membership in this body as something God did, you will see it more accurately. It will be clear to you what God was up to. And what your responsibilities are. And your opportunities are. If you'll understand that you didn't so much join the church. As God joined you to the church. So when somebody comes down that aisle. I'm asking myself as I pray with them. And sometimes I pray it out loud. Lord help me learn. What I'm supposed to learn. As they become part of the body. Help me change. Like I'm supposed to change. As they become part of the body. For I know that you are joining them to the body. And you have a purpose in me. With this one that you brought in. And so it is true for all the different members of the body. There are lots of times when I feel this presence of the Holy Spirit in the body. It's like electricity. When I contemplated it. I thought about a sermon I preached before Katrina. 14 years ago. Where I talked about, I believe God wants us to build houses. How many of you remember that sermon? All right, some of you remember that sermon. I sure remember that sermon, okay? I'd been wrestling with it with our ministry in the uh, Ninth Ward and folks who were still stuck in poverty and the idea of getting them, helping them get out of that cycle of poverty by helping them achieve home ownership. And I preached that message here about we need to help them. Achieve home ownership, that God is calling us to do that. And after we had dismissed, Mike Flores came running down this aisle and he said to me, I'll sign up for that. And do you know, God used that man and a lot of other people to build 91 houses in partnership with Habitat in the Upper Ninth Ward for hardworking families to help them achieve a financial independence and a legacy for the next generation. You say, what was that? And that was the body at work. This body goes to work on Wednesdays. The reason we have Care Effect is we wanted ministries of compassion to be accessible to every person who sits in the pew, every person God adds to the number. So it's easy to go out and bless somebody. Every child, every youth, every teenager, college student, and adult who wants to can be part of this ministry of compassion. And God has used that now to feed tens of thousands of meals and thousands of weekend food bags to kids in our public schools 
We are now known on Bourbon Street as the church ladies go down there to minister. Folks in this city have learned to speak English through ESL. And God has touched the lives of hundreds of children and adults through our prison ministries. That's just something of what God's done as he stirred the body and called the body and filled the body and indwelled the body of believers. I want to challenge you not to jettison the church, even though sometimes it's confusing to look at the array of options. Don't throw aside the church, even though the church looks flawed. It is not likely more flawed than you personally. Each one of us are deeply flawed, and yet God uses us. The next generation of believers and people around the world need the body of believers to be joined together like God intends them to be joined so that the gospel may go forth and the compassion and love of Christ may be known in the world. That's why Jesus established the church and loved the church and gave himself for it, as the scripture says. I don't know where you are in your spiritual journey. Maybe you're at that confused and divided and uncertain place. I would challenge you to turn your eyes to Jesus. He's the centerpiece. To make sure that you got your eyes on him and keep your eyes on him because he is the one and there is no other. There's one chief cornerstone in this place and it is Jesus and there is no other. And the man you're looking at is flawed just like you are. But Jesus is the perfect lamb who takes away the sin of the world. God is speaking to you. Jesus has preached his sermon to you. The message has come from him. I want you to hear what he calls you to do. Bow with me, please. As we bow our heads and just pray, would you say, Lord, let me hear and understand what you want me to do. There may be something left undone in your life and you know it and it comes to your mind and heart right now. A reconciliation that needs to happen. An apology that needs to be made. An effort on your part to mend a broken relationship. I don't know what it might be. A neighbor who needs you. By your Holy Spirit, Lord, speak to your body. Help us hear and understand the message. I pray for that person who needs to commit their life to, to Christ. That God, they'll have the, the understanding that that's what you're calling them to do. To trust you as Savior and Lord. And that they will come. Lord, I pray for that one who needs to be joined to the body. And you are seeking to add them to the body. That they will hear and understand. God, we need you. And we want to hear from you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.